dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. We have a special guest with us on today. You might have heard her name when we thank her at the end of the podcast, or you might have heard from her when she's popped into our weekly newsletter. Welcome to Novel Pairings, our lovely assistant, Michelle Timmons. Hi, it's so good to be here with you guys. This is so exciting, Michelle. We have been wanting to get you on the podcast since you started helping us out this summer. And it took us a while to figure out when and what book, but we are so excited to talk about My Antonia with you today. I am so excited too, because this is a book that has long been one of my favorites, and I have very fond memories of it. And I'm so happy to be discussing it with you guys. This is going to be really fun. Before we launch into our actual book discussion, would you like to tell us our novel pairings, our official question, what is one classic you love and what is one classic you loathe? Yes. So some of our followers might know this from the Instagram post when I was introduced a while ago, but one classic I love is We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. I read this book for my freshman year of college intro level English class. It was one of the first books that I really critically analyzed at the college level. And when I started reading it, I thought to myself, why are we reading this? It has kind of a funny tone to it, especially for a college class. But I just loved it. And I read basically the whole thing in one sitting. It's it's a really cool book. And then one classic I loathe would be Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. I read this for a contemporary literature class later on in college, and I just don't see the merits of it. Um, there's a lot of misogyny and unhealthy behavior, and it just wasn't one that, that stuck with me. I also love We Have Always Lived in the Castle, and I really love that you have read Casino Royale. I haven't read any of the Bond books, but my husband and I have done like a serious Bond movie deep dive in quarantine, and it made me kind of curious about what the books are like, but maybe I won't pick it up after that review. <laughs> I would say devote your time to another book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The movies are good enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Michelle, can you tell us about your college experience, just like where you are, what year you are in, and what you're majoring in, all of that fun stuff? Yes, I am a senior right now. I am majoring in English with a concentration in literary studies. So that means that um, I don't so much do creative writing, but I do more the critical analysis of literature. And I adore my major. I absolutely love looking at literature, writing about literature, discussing literature. And I hope to work in publishing after graduation. That's awesome. And you've done the, have you done a publishing course yet, Michelle, or one of those summer programs, or is that in, in the cards for you? 
It is, yes. I'm actually going to be working on my applications for those over my winter break. You need to have uh, your bachelor's degree to attend a publishing course. So luckily, there's one at the University of Denver where I'm a student, and then there are a couple in New York. So I'll be applying for all of those and hopefully attending this coming summer. Awesome. All right. Well, let's dive into my Antonia. I'll offer a brief summary because this isn't really a plot-driven book, so summary is going to be really small. And then um, I will we'll dig into our initial reading experiences of this. So My Antonia by Willa Cather was published in 1918, and it is the story of Jim Burden, who's both our protagonist and our narrator. After his parents die, Jim, as a young orphan, moves to... Nebraska to live with his grandparents. And while in Nebraska, he meets and befriends the Shamirda family. And the Shamirdas are bohemian immigrants. And their daughter, Antonia, is a source of particular friendship and fascination, maybe even obsession for Jim. And so the book follows Jim and Antonia as they grow up in rural and rural Nebraska and then move to a small town and we see them all the way into their adulthood and it's about their friendship, their relationship, the family and friends who surround them and it's about the beautiful Nebraska scenery and this book is so full of like great American novel themes so it's a really fun one to discuss This is also a really seasonally focused read, and Cather's descriptions of the seasons are some of the standout pieces of this book. So I'm excited to dig into all of that with you all. Michelle, as our guest, do you want to tell us when you first read My Antonia? Yes, absolutely. Well, you know when I first read this, Sarah, because I I read it. I read it in your AP language class my junior year of high school, and I was really taken with this novel when I first read it. Cather's writing is beautiful, and she does an amazing job with description, and so I was really amazed by um, this book. And then I looked at it through the lens of deconstruction, um, the literary theory lens of deconstruction, and wrote a paper on it. And that was really when I got excited about potentially being an English major in college. And so I have very fond memories of this book, not just the book itself, but the way that we discussed it in class, the way that we wrote about the way that I wrote about it in my paper. And then I reread it. So I've only read it twice. I, I reread it for this podcast. And I had a totally different impression this time. I still loved it. And I would still say it's up there on my list of good books, of books that I like. But I saw the characters differently. I saw the story differently. And I would say I wasn't quite so taken with it this time. So, Michelle, did you know that your first time reading this book was also my first time reading this book? Oh, I didn't. Oh, my gosh. No, I did not know that. Yeah. So this was this book was already in the curriculum when I started uh, teaching at that school. 
and um, I had never read it before. And so I I was probably just staying like a few chapters ahead of you guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that was my first experience reading it too. I wish I had read it in a different circumstance. I mean, I enjoyed teaching this book and we could talk a little bit more about that as we as we keep going. But one thing that tainted my experience of this book was, if you maybe remember, Michelle, this was the only book written by a woman that was in our AP Lang American Lit curriculum that year. Mm-hmm. And it really bothered me that the only book we read written by a woman was written through the perspective of a male character mm-hmm. still. So I think had I come to it in a different circumstance, or even if there had been like a few more books in the curriculum that rounded out women's writing a little bit better, I might have enjoyed this book more. And I think I have enjoyed it more in subsequent readings. But yeah, that was that was my first time reading it too. That's so interesting. And I do think it's interesting that Willa Cather herself is a really interesting person. And I seem to remember that she was part of the LGBTQ in some way. I forget if she was what she identified as, but it's interesting to know that about her and see that she wrote this book through a male perspective with, and I mean, a big part of that was probably the time period as well, but to see how she wrote this book, given her identity. Totally. Yeah, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She used to dress in men's clothing and, and, you know, attend like, male-only gatherings and things like that, which is really cool. I would love to read a full biography of her. But Me too. Chelsea, what is your experience with My Antonia? This was my first time reading it. I almost read it in college because this guy that I was like kind of becoming friends with handed it to me and was like, this is my favorite book and it's so good and you have to read it. But I realized that he and a lot of other like brainy guys that I was around really liked to hand off books or movies or whatever and like test you <laughs> and see like what you would say about it. And mm. I was not about it. So I just like <laughs> lied to him and gave it back and was like, oh yeah, I read a little bit of it, but I'm just so swamped with homework. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> so <laughs> this book has been, uh, I don't know, like, and I wasn't like tainted by that experience, but I will always associate it with that person. But I really, really liked this book. And I can identify exactly why. It is because when I was little, I was obsessed with Little House on the Prairie. And I, my American Girl doll was Kirsten. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, if, if this you was meant are, for me. Yeah. <laughs> If you had Kirsten, the American Girl doll, and you haven't read My Antonia yet, you've got to. This is the classic for you. It really is. It hit all of the perfect Kirsten slash Laura Ingalls Wilder notes for me, and that is definitely why I I really enjoyed this book. So, yes, I also am a sucker for great nature descriptions. Her nature descriptions are incredible Mm -hmm. I mean I think I've driven through Nebraska I haven't really spent time there but I don't think people here 
Nebraska and think beautiful scenery. I don't think that's the first thing they think of. But the way she describes the plains and the grasses and the vastness and emptiness is really incredible. Yeah, she really must have had a fondness for it because it reads as so nostalgic and... I don't know. She just really must have loved it. I was reading in the introduction of my copy that so many people assume that she was born in Nebraska because of her tie to that land and the way she writes about the region. But she moved there when, with her family when she was nine years old. And I think that makes way more sense because she would be able to remember so much more vividly all of the scenes having moved there with fresh eyes as a kid at that age. And I think that that comes across in her writing so well. I agree. I think it's really special how she can write about the seasons that are so vastly different. And the winter cold scenes sound very depressing and harsh. And then springtime comes and summer comes and those scenes sound so pastoral and peaceful and you just want to jump into the pages of the book and live there. But it all works so seamlessly and cohesively. It's not like she's writing about two different places. You really feel like you're experiencing those changes in the same place, even though there's such a vast difference between the the scenes that she's describing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... I So Sarah, you said that it's not necessarily a plot-driven novel, but some very intense stuff happens in this book. And I think that any survival story, mm. to me, feels a little bit more plot-driven, even though this is very, like, it's slower, there's a lot of description, there's a lot of um, musings from the narrator about Antonia and himself. But the stuff that happens, like, it's it gets kind of scary and it gets pretty intense in the survival that these people have to go through. And there are multiple times, at least twice, where Jim is saying that he was reading Swiss Family Robinson and then Robinson Crusoe. And he basically says, these books of survival have nothing on what we go through mm-hmm. living here. And I I found that to be true for me. I find the survival and pioneering life to be fascinating of course that's <laughs> because Kirsten because Kirsten instilled it yeah. in me forever that is a really good point and I I think that's a good clarification too because when I said it wasn't plot driven I was thinking about like the overarching plot of the the book you know if you ask like what is this book about it's really about like Jim and Antonia growing up but it's very episodic in nature. And so almost every chapter has a significant, interesting, compelling event. And so it's not like nothing happens. It's, it's more that a lot of stuff happens. And so it's hard to identify one plot. That makes sense. I really liked, I like writing that's in vignettes like that. Well, I, I think it's a really interesting take on the classic Wild West tale because there's not violence. There's not a lot of in extreme, intense moments of shooting at, people shooting at each other, horse chases, chases on horseback. Um, there's not a lot of intensity, but like you guys said, there's still that feeling of survival or that idea of survival, that feeling that 
Jim and Antonia are going through real hardship and they do survive, but it's more a quiet everyday hardship rather than a violent, um, tumultuous hardship that you often find in these kinds of books. So I admire Cather for writing like that. Yeah, and the few things that are dramatic, she writes with such restraint, like Peter and Pavel's story about the wolves and the wedding party. Yeah, oh my gosh. Which, like, every time I, I read this book, I'm surprised by, by that. Peter and Pavel are these two Russian immigrants living in the, the rural community. I also, I love that they're companions. We don't really know what their relationship is, but I, I think, like, because of what we kind of know about Cather's biography, we can maybe assume... But anyways, they threw a wedding party to a pack of wild wolves and then got chased out of their village in Russia. And <laughs> like, that's crazy. But it only takes up like two paragraphs and yeah. then we move on. And it's just very, yeah, you're right. It's very steady. And it certainly, I think, speaks to the toughness that is required when you live in those harsh conditions of... There are tough things that happen, and in order to move on, you just have to, you have to bury it and move forward with life and treat everything as just being very steady and not worth panicking over. And we see that countless times in these situations. Particularly, I was really fascinated by Jim's grandparents and their relationship with the whole community, but I'm sure that we'll talk about them. Yeah, well, should we get into to them and maybe just talk some about characters. some characters? So, Chelsea, what was it about Jim's grandparents that struck you? Or, yeah, what did you think of them? They, they reminded me very much of the Midwestern older people that I grew up around. They're very pragmatic and... They share sometimes that they don't necessarily agree with what the neighbors are doing or the way that they're worshiping or what they believe, and yet they still help them and do their very best to make their their wishes align. I'm thinking specifically of when Antonia's father dies, and that's not really a spoiler. You, you get foreshadowing pretty early on that he will take his own life. And the way that his grandparents sort of accommodate everyone's wishes for the funeral and really make an effort to to carry out the family's wishes, even though they are super, well, not necessarily superstitious, but religious in that it's sort of clashing with these superstitions and um, all of the different cultures coming together. I just really enjoyed their pragmatism and... The way that they, the book shows that they're caring for their neighbors. Yeah, if I remember your paper correctly, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) So you deconstructed, which maybe for our future Patreon community, Chelsea and I will do some like deep dives into these literary theories, but to deconstruct means to like look at binaries in a book. And you looked at immigrant versus the American quote-unquote identity and Mm -hmm. that include like kind of protestant versus catholic which we see in in this community and it is so true that we see those clashes but 
there really is more commonality and more togetherness than we would maybe expect. Absolutely. I I was surprised by how much, both times I read this book, I was surprised by how much commonality there was. And I find it really interesting that the Jim's grandparents don't think twice about helping the, the Shemirdas um, because you get the feeling that even though the the Jim's grandparents, the whole Burden family helps out the Shemirdas for a long time, all the time for a long time, there is a lot of animosity toward immigrants. I mean, we don't see it directly. We don't see overt scenes of that discrimination, but we absolutely get the feeling that not everybody accepts the immigrants. And so I think it's really cool that Cather decided to focus more on the fi- on the families that, that come together rather than the opposition between different p- people from different backgrounds but she still gives us the feeling that it's there and that's pretty artful of her to be able to show us that that, that it exists but she doesn't need to directly present it for us i marked a page that really stood out to me antonia and her mother go over to the burden's house and her mother is just being <laughs> really rude. Just really I lo- rude. I love this scene so much. And she basically just takes a pot and she's like, you have plenty. I'm taking this because we don't have one. And that audacity astounds me. But Jim is really, really irritated by this and by her behavior And he tells Antonia, people who don't like this country ought to stay home. We don't make them come here. And I thought, wow, how many times have I heard that over the last few years? Mm -hmm. You know, not directed at me, but just politically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Antonia says, my father didn't want to come. My mother did. We came here for a better life. And she really explains it. And what a scene. And Jim's grandmother basically says you know hardship does does things to people and so we need to be more open-hearted and just care for them i mean his grandma doesn't take anybody's shit like she's she's a tough woman herself but she really does have this this nice open-heartedness to her that she she gives her the pot and she's like yeah i do have enough so you just take it and good we're going to provide for you. And I just really, really was struck by that scene. It's so well written. It's a great scene. It's very interesting. And I, I really, I love the very end of the first book. The The novel is divided into five books. The first book is the longest and I think kind of the most, um, the most often like quoted and admired because it's where we are in the country and get all of the lovely nature imagery but at the very end of that there's this gorgeous like lightning storm and Jim and Antonia are gazing out onto it and talking and and Antonia says to Jim like your life is going to be a lot easier than mine like mm-hmm. my my mm-hmm. life here is going to be hard and I just I love the kind of bluntness that both Cather and the character Antonia bring to the conversation about immigration. It's, yeah, like you said, Michelle, it's very artfully done in that her focus is on 
the connection between people and the people who are open-hearted and kind. But she never lets us forget that the immigrants' lives are extremely challenging. Right. She doesn't hit us over the head with it, which a lot of books do that. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's it's nice to sometimes have that over-representation of the hardships that immigrants face. But I think that that the way Cather does it is almost more effective than if she was to put almost like a blaring sign like this is what I'm trying to tell you it's it's much more of a lesson almost I am really still curious Michelle because you hinted that your first read and then this read through you had very different experiences and so I'm curious if we have gotten to any of that yet or if you still have things that you want to talk about that were different this time around and that struck you in a completely different way than the first time that you read it in the classroom. Yes. So a lot of it has to do with Jim, which I can save for when we actually talk about Jim's character. We can get but... into that now too, Michelle. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that second. The first thing I'll say, which is a little bit shorter, is... Jim's grandparents struck me differently while we're still kind of on that topic. Jim's grandparents, I saw them differently this time because, again, Cather in the background shows us that they are really good caretakers for Jim and they're great guardians for him, but she doesn't overtly show us the his, Jim's grandparents teaching him how to ride a bike or teaching him table manners. She doesn't show us like that everyday parenting, but she shows how they lead by example and by showing him how to live rather than telling him, which I thought was really interesting because when I got to the end of the book, I thought to myself, we didn't really see any moments of like direct life lessons that um, his grandparents taught him, but we still know that that happened. So I found that interesting. And then with Jim himself, I had a totally different memory in my head of him. I remembered him being a much better person than I saw him in in this reading because in this reading I saw more of his I guess misogyny and entitlement and there were some times where I was surprised by his sense of superiority or ownership over Antonia and he, he was a little bit entitled with, I felt both Antonia and Lena, and I had completely forgotten that he, and that, that was surprising to me, especially given the way his grandparents, given the example that his grandparents set for him. Isn't there a part two where he just meets Antonia and he says that he's kind of annoyed because she's a little bit older than him and kind of bossy and takes charge mm-hmm. and that he just doesn't think that girls should do that? <laughs> right, Exactly. Yeah, and then there is the whole storyline of how Antonia has to work in the fields and help provide for her family, and Jim doesn't like how masculine she's become, Mm -hmm. and he wants her to stay this, like, soft, girlish figure, and his misogyny is quite astounding. I mean, maybe appropriate for the time period, and also probably appropriate for what Antonia is saying, maybe about positions of privilege in general, like Jim being an American citizen and Protestant and white and male, like all of those positionalities that place him at the center of the conversation. But it is interesting because I'm still not sure 
how much we're supposed to like Jim in this mm-hmm. book. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we are. I think we're certainly supposed to admire Antonia. The characters yes. in the book admire her. She's cast in a very positive light, I think, as being just fierce and hardworking and yet caring. I mean, all certainly all of the iconic qualities of a pioneer woman that you could possibly want, she is. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the way that the book is set up, where it's the book within a book, and it's still titled with her name, she's the most important part, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. that, I mean, he he could be any narrator. Totally. Yeah, she's the most important part. That setup is brilliant and how adult Jim writes this book about his childhood. And he writes it and it's he calls it Antonia, just Antonia at first. And then he fixes the name to be my Antonia, which, I mean, it just sets the tone for the whole book, both in terms of the possessiveness he feels towards Antonia, but also his acknowledgement that he's only portraying the Antonia he can see from his perspective. And so we never fully get to know Antonia as an individual. We only get to know Jim's Antonia, which is really in terms of literary merit, brilliant. And then also frustrating because she's just like, she's right there and you want to get to know her even better than you do. Just to offer an unpopular opinion here, I sort of feel like there are aspects of, or traits in Antonia that balance out Jim's possessiveness over her. So even though there are scenes where Jim talks about being proud of Antonia as if she is his and he feels like he should be able to kiss her even though she doesn't want him to kiss her. Even though there are scenes like that, there are also scenes where I feel like Antonia flips that relationship between them because in later in the book, when Lena Lingard goes to visit Jim, uh, I, th- I think he's in college at that point, and she says, oh, Antonia didn't want any girl messing around with you or, you know, she didn't, she wanted you to only be, you know, she didn't want you to be with just any girl. And so we learn that Antonia has also been protecting Jim and has also felt like Jim is hers to not play around with, but to to kind of protect and to guide and to um, almost determine his fate for him. And so, I mean, Antonia is not just a, a wallflower. She doesn't, she isn't just someone to be controlled by Jim. She does have her own agency. Yeah. Maybe that's why he really didn't bother me. Even when he was being a little bit misogynistic or, you know, very of the time masculine, it, it didn't bother me terribly just because Antonia still stands out so much against mm-hmm. the landscape and in his narrative. And even though it is possessive, the way that he writes about her or shares his experiences, it's also quite admiring. Mm-hmm. And we get to see the entire trajectory of their relationship from childhood coming of age through adulthood and where they end up at the end. And she seems happy. Yeah. I don't know what you all think, but she seems happy by the end and she gets this big family and she gets a, um, a husband who 
perhaps reminds her of her father, but is not going to go down that path. And it's a pretty satisfying ending for her, I think. Yeah, I I think for me, this is just one of those examples of the context in which you first approach a book determines so much about how you read it. Being a teacher at an all-girls school where this was the only book by a woman that we read, I mean, that totally changed, I think, or at least influenced how I viewed Jim and his possessiveness and the way women are depicted in this novel. And I think had I read it in a different context, it wouldn't have bothered me nearly as as much. So just just an interesting observation about how important context is. But in terms of your point about the ending, yeah, I think Antonia is very happy at the happier than Jim. I think she gets the life she wants much more than he does. I completely agree with that. And Jim notices it and all of her children adore her. And so we have multiple pieces of evidence to show that she is truly fulfilled. And this might be backtracking just a little bit, so not to backtrack, but given the framing of the novel and from the very first few pages, readers know that Jim does not end up with Antonia. We know from the get-go that he marries somebody that he ostensibly doesn't love. I mean, it, it, that's up for interpretation, but he probably it's quite possible that he does not love the woman he ends up with. But I think that really changes the way we read the entire novel knowing that they do have strong feelings for each other but we can know from the beginning that they are not going to end up together so if we didn't have those first couple pages it would be a more shocking ending to to see oh my gosh Antonia is not only married to someone who's not Jim but she has 11 kids or 10 or 11 kids with this man but we know from the beginning that 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 something like that will be the ending and so it's more peaceful and happy for us as readers. So I, th- I mean, I think Cather did that on purpose so that we could feel truly happy and, and content with that ending and not so much shocked. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I also think that she does a lot symbolically with place. And I think it matters a lot that Antonia stays in the rural community She's still a pioneer woman and a farmer and connected to nature. And Jim is living in New York City. And he works, interestingly, for railroad companies. So he spends all of his time, like, traversing the country and seeing the countryside from the train windows. But he lives in this, like, urban metropolis. And I think she's also saying something about how people should live. Interestingly, she lived in New York for much of her adult life. I think Antonia can certainly be considered a symbol as well for all of that. She's so representative of that place and the way that these memories of this specific person carry with Jim. I think that's the way that many of us feel about where we grew up and often where you grew up, you have associations like that with a childhood friend who you know, and I think that this book has a lot to say about certainly place and also memory, and I just really did enjoy those themes and the way that they came through in Cather's writing. I would read more Cather. Well, I, 
I think we should probably move into our pairings. But I'm just going to read the last couple sentences because I, I feel like this book has an iconic last few lines like Gatsby, but it's not revered in the same way. So um, at the very end of this book, Jim says, Now I understand that the same road was to bring us together again. Whatever we had missed, we possessed together the precious, the incommunicable past. And I just, I love that, that like wherever the journey takes takes you, you will always share that past with some with the with the people who were there for it. And I I think that's a lovelier way to look at the past than something like Gatsby does. I love the contrast in those last lines. So pretty. So pretty. Mm-hmm. All right. Well I I'm really excited to hear what you all paired with this. This is one of those classics. Sometimes I think we read a classic for the podcast and it's just so clear that all of the pairings are going to fit into a certain category. This book, there are just so many directions to go. And I think that our pairings are going to convey that uh, because we have a lot of different things to offer today. So... Michelle, as our guest, would you like to share your first My Antonia pairing? Yes, I would love to. All right, so my first pairing is How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zhang. I feel like this one, I thought of this pairing right away, actually. I feel like it really picks up on a lot of the same themes and ideas that My Antonia covers. So... In How Much of These Hills is Gold, we have two main characters, Lucy and Sam, and they are fairly young children, and the novel opens up, and they have just lost both of their parents. So they are on their own, and they are Chinese immigrants in uh, the American West during the gold rush, and so they have to make it on their own without their parents, and the moves of of these two novels are pretty different. My Antonia is more subtle and pastoral and has more nostalgia in it, whereas How Much of These Hills is Gold is a little bit more dark and there is not, there isn't as much, like uh, Lucy and Sam do not really get a childhood in this book. So the reason why I chose this as my first pairing is because both of these novels, My Antonia and How Much of These Hills is Gold, look at what it's like to be an immigrant in the American West, and they particularly explore the relationship between the American who's been here all along and the immigrant, and question what Americans owe to immigrants, whether it's the right choice to for immigrants to trust Americans, and another reason why I paired it is because Jim burden in my Antonia lost both of his parents much like Lucy and Sam did and so I think that really plays into the quote-unquote wild west trope of forging your own path and making it on your own and kind of that lone cowboy idea that I think my Antonia paints in a more subtle way but it's definitely there so that was how much of these hills is gold by C. Pam Zhang I really liked that one too. And I 
think that another reason it pairs so well is the nature descriptions and how both authors portray the settings. So I, I think that's a fantastic pairing. Chelsea, what's your first My Antonia pairing? I'm really excited to talk about this one because it's one of my favorite books. And I'm also really excited because it was out of print for a really long time. But last year, Pushkin Press brought it out and they have copies available again. So people can actually pick it up and read it. And I can recommend it. I didn't feel like (laughs) I could recommend it when it was out of print. So one of my favorite books is A Woman in the Polar Night by Christiane Ritter. And this book was published in 1938, so it could be considered a classic as well. And it's about Ritter, who is an Austrian painter, and her husband is an explorer. And he's in the Arctic in Spitsbergen, which is an island, and basically lives in a hut that is 60 miles from any civilization. And she joins him to live in this hut with him and his explorer friend. And basically this memoir is just full of her daily diary, the nature descriptions, which are just stunning and beautiful, partly because I think her painter's eye allows her to see everything in a really artistic way. There is some drama and survival But overall, it's a pretty quiet story, and you're reading it for the nature descriptions and the fascinating life that she's leading, not necessarily for a specific plot point. And she just really falls in love with this place and has a really incredible time on this journey. And so I think that it's it pairs really well with my Antonia partly because of the descriptions, but also because of the survival. And I I don't know, the the tone really fits as well. So I am hoping that some people pick this up so that they can see, (laughs) because I don't know that I can do justice to the beautiful descriptions, but it's a really lovely book and it's reflective. And I also think it's a good book for this time. If you are looking for something wintry to read, but also because it talks about isolation and loneliness a lot, and sometimes it feels good to lean into a book when you're feeling that, and I think a lot of us are with quarantine and pandemic life. Okay, I'm going to flip the order of mine then, because what you just said, Chelsea, leads so well into one of the books that I wanted to pair today, which is Wintering. The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times by Catherine May. I'm excited and because I have this one from Libro FM, so it's can't wait. so I'm I'm holding it up again. It's so pretty. Um and the title is what first caught my attention and I just knew I wanted to read a book called Wintering. I didn't really have any idea what it was about. <laughs> and I'm about halfway through, so I'm I'm currently reading this. And I am like spellbound by it. So this is a memoir and Catherine May, the writer, she went through this period of her life and her husband fell really ill and her son started having issues because of that. She had some health concerns and that got in the way of her job and and just their family was going through this really 
really difficult time. And she explores that time period in this book, but about how she tried to kind of lean into it and let the difficultness of it and the hardness be an opportunity for for rest and and not it, it's not done in this way of like you need to power through these struggles in order to come out the other side a better person but like how to give ourselves the rest and the break we need and see that as an an aspect of of life and like she calls it like the winter of our lives and how we have these periods of of growth and renewal and we have these periods that we need to hibernate and take care of ourselves and I I find that to be really lovely for this time of the year for this year (laughs) as a whole and I think it's such a lovely pairing with my Antonia because of the struggles the characters go through in the book and how like there is kind of kind of this rugged individualism and this striving to make it no matter what in the book but Cather throughout really does acknowledge how life is cyclical and seasonal and sometimes it's about like waiting out the snowstorm for that like beautiful playful spring and I really really like that and I feel like I can use more of that perspective in my life and and reading my Antonia and then wintering this week has just been, I feel like very good for my mental health and outlook as it's getting darker and colder here. So I am really enjoying this book. I think, you know, it's thematically, of course, connected to, to my Antonia, but also just if you love a seasonal read, this is a good one. So that is Wintering by Catherine May. All right, Michelle, what is your next pairing? My next pairing is All the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy. This one, I feel like, is kind of a contemporary standby, so maybe a lot of people have read it because it is fairly well known. Again, the mood of it is similar to How Much of These Hills is Gold, so it's a little bit darker, more serious, not quite as pastoral and nostalgic as My Antonia, but again, it does explore quite similar themes. This one is very plot-driven and is very dense with events in the plot, so I won't give a huge summary, but basically the book opens up and 16-year-old John Grady has just lost his grandfather and his mother is planning on selling the ranch that his grandfather owned. And John Grady is really upset about this, and he and John Grady's parents are not together, and so he doesn't really have um, a set home. And so he decides to take a journey on his, just without his parents on his own, and go, and he goes to work on a ranch in Mexico, and he's with one of his good friends, so he at least does have a companion. And he goes and works on this ranch, and he gets involved with the rancher's daughter, and there's a lot of drama that ensues, but I'll just leave it at that so I don't spoil too much. And again, I really feel like this book fits in with my Antonia because John Grady is lacking strong parental figures in his life. He is the quintessential lone cowboy 
making it on his own. All the Pretty Horses exemplifies another conflict between people from different backgrounds, from different countries, and how um, they do and do not get along. And I also found it interesting to think about the similarities between Antonia and Alejandra, who is John Grady's love interest in All the Pretty Horses, and how John Grady, I feel like John Grady is, would be Jim Burden if Jim had acted on his feelings for Antonia, possibly, and how John Grady also does feel some entitlement over Alejandra, and he does kind of push his luck with her, and and I do feel like the portrayal of the American West is quite similar to my Antonia. Yeah, um, so that is All the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy. That is an excellent pairing, Michelle. I have another American West story to pair here. Under a Painted Sky by Stacy Lee is another pairing. I really like Stacy Lee's young adult novels. She mostly writes historical fiction about Chinese immigrants in California. And so I always feel like I'm learning something from her books because I did not grow up in California. I don't know a lot about Californian history, but she she just is a really great author. So Under a Painted Sky is about Samantha and she has dreams of becoming a professional musician, but this is really difficult for her because she is a woman and she is a Chinese immigrant. And this is set in Missouri in 1849. And so she flees for the Oregon Trail and the California Gold Rush with her friend Anna May, who has run away from slavery. And so these two girls know that it's not safe for them to travel the trail as females. So they disguise themselves as boys and they just form this really close bond as they go on this journey to California and to a new life for themselves. And there's a lot of uh, drama along the way and it's definitely a survival and adventure story but it also has a lot to do with their friendship and this immigrant story of Sammy or Samantha and I also just kind of like that tie-in that they are disguising themselves as boys and we know that Willa Cather for reasons that are studied but that we don't necessarily know from her own words that she often dressed up as a man and even I was reading that she went by William and so I just think that that's a really interesting tie-in here. So I really like Stacey Lee's writing. I think that this book definitely has um, a lot of great Western experience ties to my Antonia. So that is Under a Painted Sky by Stacey Lee. That sounds like it would be a really good and sort of gentler pairing with how much of these hills is gold, too. Like lots yeah. of similarities there. Definitely. Absolutely. All right. I So I was deciding between two books for this pairing, one of which kind of emphasized the things that I don't like about my Antonia, and one of which emphasized 
the things that I do like about my Antonia. And rereading the book, I was like, mm, I like this more than I remembered. So I went with the pairing that emphasizes or connects with the things that I do like. So <laughs> my final pairing is How to Pronounce Knife by Suvankin Tamavangsa. And this is a 2020 release. It actually won the 2020 Giller Prize, which is the Canadian prize for fiction. And it is a collection of short stories. They all take place in the same city, which I believe remains unnamed, but is like a fairly large Canadian city where there are a lot of immigrants. And each story features a different individual or family um some there's some crossover which i always enjoy in short stories but i i liked that as a connection with my antonia like it like my antonia i think would be a really interesting book if written that way if we got a section from lena's perspective and tiny's and anyway so i i was kind of thinking about that um connection between a large cast of of characters each with a slightly different experience of immigration. And so this story includes um, a woman who is learning English from watching daytime soap operas. And it includes like a, a, a mother teaching her daughter the importance of making the most of stretching a dollar and how to survive in this as, as immigrants in this community. A lot of the stories actually focus on language acquisition, which sounds maybe boring, but <laughs> I promise you is not. And I, I like that part of my Antonia too, where Jim is teaching Antonia English and her learning English becomes hugely important for her family, which is a really common experience for immigrants all over the world, children acquiring the language more quickly than their parents and therefore serving as kind of translators and, and the connection between the family and the community. And how to Pronounce Knife shows that, depicts that so beautifully. And the title story is my favorite. It was the first in the collection, and it's about a little girl who she, I think, is six. She can't read yet. She gets a letter home from from school with some important information, and her parents can't read it, and, and they'll kind of fall out from that and the ostracization of that. And it really hit hard for me and I just thought this collection was really moving and a wonderful depiction of the realities of immigrant life but focusing on kind of those small moments in a similar way to Cather where she's not showing characters who are attacked and confronted because they're different but the small things that make their lives challenging so that was How to Pronounce Knife by Suvankin Tamavangsa. That sounds really good. It's really good. And several of Tamavangsa's short stories are available for free online. And so we can link to some in the show notes. And then if you like them, you should totally go buy this collection, which also has a really pretty cover. Michelle, we're so glad that you came on to talk with us about my Antonia. I'm especially glad to get your perspective having read it in the classroom with Sarah as your teacher. That was so fun. <laughs> yes, I am so happy that I could come on today. I really enjoyed discussing my Antonia with you guys. It was 
such a cool experience to reread it years later and think about it in a whole new way. Oh, good. Well, your insights when you were a junior in high school and your insights now both taught me a lot about this book. So I appreciate your thoughts and I'm so glad we could make this work. Yes, thank you guys so much. Listeners, we can't wait to hear all about your experiences with my Antonia. And so we would love if you tagged us on Instagram, share your book reviews, or post in Instagram stories to let your friends know that you're listening to Novel Pairings. You can find us at Novel Pairings Pod on there. We also like to share our news and announcements and a bunch of extra book recommendations on the feed. And we would also love to know if you pick up any of the pairings that we mentioned today and let us know what you think. Please keep spreading the word about novel pairings by sending your friends a link or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. I feel like we have some of the best listeners in terms of writing reviews. Y'all write reviews so well. They're just beautifully (laughs) written, but also I just feel like y'all are so good at keeping that up. So thank you so much. (laughs) I agree. Thank you. And thank you again to Michelle for joining us. Thanks to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with an episode featuring Annie Jones, the owner of The Bookshelf in Thomasville, talking about little women, cozy books, and how to support your indie bookstores during the holidays. Until then. We declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of 